Welcome to episode 309 of After the Credits. I am one of your, your co-hosts, Maureen Antunes, joined today by fellow co-hosts. Bill Harris. And Melissa McDowell. We are Steve-less today. He is busy with life things, so he will return for the next show, hopefully. But this show is also a little bit different than our usual episodes where we, you know, give correct opinions about shit we've been watching. <laughs> That's going to be the new tagline for the show where we give you correct opinions about the shit we've been watching. Um, we're going to do a little VIF previews. Uh, no, a VIF wrap, because the festival already happened. And for those that aren't familiar with VIF, it's the Vancouver International Film Festival, as we are all located in uh, on the west coast of, uh, of BC. 42nd annual festival this year, all in person. Pretty Yay. much a return to normal, maybe? <laughs> That was my know. that was my twenty second year, by the way. You're t- oh wow! I, I do bad math. My first VIF was in seven twenty seventeen, so I don't know where that puts me. Wow! Not a I think my first was two thousand and eight or two thousand and nine. I can't remember. Oh. So, Bill, what was your first year? Uh, two thousand one. Oh, wait, I beat you guys? What? No. Holy fuck. Okay. Hey, look, it's something I've done. I don't know. Maybe not right, but hey, I've been there for a while. <laughs> Full admission. That 2017 year, I think I went to one movie because I was uh, I was a young wannabe reporter working at the student paper at UBC, and they had called me. Uh, like, I don't know, I literally just started and it's like, hey, uh, our culture reporter has uh, is sick. Can you cover this thing? And I'm like, OK. So I went to one screening, but I was there. <laughs> My very what do you remember what the screening was? Uh, I wish I could say I do, but I don't remember. It may have been. I don't remember if that was the Vincenzo Tali year, the year that he did. Nothing. Oh, no, it would have been before nothing. I think it might have been for Cube because I still have a still from that. It might have been. Wow, Cube. you saw Cube at VIF. I saw Cube and I interviewed uh, Natalie. Wow, yeah. that's very cool. And I, that was either the first or second year I covered the festival. My first VIF film was a South Korean film called Volcano High. I saw it at the Vogue. My second film was the Lucas Moodyson film, Lilia Forever. And later that night, I saw the Cronenberg film, Spider. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I was only there for the weekend, and we didn't have tickets for everything. And we thought, oh, yeah, we can just walk up to the premiere of City of God and totally get tickets for it at the Vogue. And we walked up there, and there was 2,000 people in line. I was like, okay, next year we get passes. <laughs> yeah, and ever since then, I've had a pass, except for this year. Well, let's talk about this uh, pass situation. Uh, you know what? I actually Are you kinda, over it? I actually kind of like the tickets. I, I felt like I was actually hustling this year. Like it was, it felt like the old days at Granville, where I was like running around, not sure of what I was doing, and I kind of liked the 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 play of it. It was fun. Um, I didn't really have a problem with anything, uh, even if I showed up late. Nothing really sold out unless it was Hayao Miyazaki or something else. So I didn't really have a problem getting seats. Not a lot of stuff sold out. A lot 
of stuff did go was standby and did go standby like immediately, immediately. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. Like I agree, like there were definitely standby screenings that I was at where there were still seats left. So I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that all shook out in the wash, but they weren't great seats, the ones that were left, I have to be honest. So yeah. it might be bad too. Yeah, because I, I I noticed the same thing. Like I was at, I, I believe it was either, I think it was the first screening of Anatomy of a Fall. And same thing, like it went on standby, like within minutes of the, the sales opening. And there were, even after they started letting people in from the standby line, when the film started, there were still at least 20 seats left at the Playhouse, like downstairs. And they weren't terrible. Mind you, there's really very few terrible seats there. There are really uncomfortable seats, but. The well, it's the stuff that's like way off on the sides. Yeah, um, like especially the closer you are to the to the screen, yeah. the stuff that's like way off on the sides. It's a, just a really awkward angle for watching mm-hmm. the film. I feel like it's fine for a dance performance or theater or something like that, but not not so great for yeah. Film. The final day I was a VIF, I saw four films at the Playhouse, and by the end, I was pretty much a paraplegic. Yeah, yeah this it's terrible there. Yeah, it was um, really uncomfortable. And I had the seats that had the leg room. And I still couldn't stand up at the end. It was we're, awful. We're not going to tell any of our audience where those seats are because. Nope. No. Nope. <laughs> Sorry. Fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm six foot three. I cannot see those other seats. There are none. Yeah. There are no good Can't seats. We there. mentioned seats with leg room at the playhouse. Yeah. <laughs> it was all a figment of your imagination. <laughs> Plus, I, I also didn't like the way they treated Marina uh, at the gala well, screening. I was kind of pissed. Honestly, it, I mean, it was my own my own fault. So for for context, I changed my schedule on the Saturday, which for me was going to be my last day of the festival because I wasn't going to see anything on Sunday. So I had originally planned on going to a screening at the Playhouse, and then I was going to go off and do a couple of other screenings and then come back for the end of the day because uh, I actually had tickets to the last film. And then randomly, almost because of Bill's recommendation, I decided to spend my day at the Playhouse instead. And then realized after two movies that the third film that I was planning on staying for was a special ticket because it was a gala and I didn't have that ticket. So I left and then there was another kerfuffle with the tickets for the end of the day that I fucked up myself. So I, you know what? It was totally fine because I just went home (laughs) and I saw Dan and it was fine. So I'm okay with that. And, and you didn't miss anything because... Apparently I didn't. The film that we were trying to see at 9.30 was Priscilla. And it was uh, sadly a disappointment. We can uh, get to that later when we yeah. get to our disappointments, I guess. It was trash, yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. <clears throat> I guess that explains why it was... Uh, why Viv had the Canadian premiere. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, uh, did it? Has it? Play, I don't really. It's. it's I know it played in the New York Film Festival, but I don't think it's played. Like, didn't play TIFF. Didn't play New York. I might have played New York, but it hasn't played a lot. No, it and did play somewhere. It did in play Europe, New though. York. It played. Yeah. It played somewhere in Europe too before yeah. us. Yeah, Venice. Yeah, that was the world premiere, right? Yeah. Yeah, and 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 we heard good things about it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that certainly was not our take. <laughs> As much as I wanted to love that film, because I do, I do love the filmmaker, but I, yeah, I can't. I, yeah. Any other so, comments about like general VIF-ness? 
you know, I, I always talk about this, but, uh, I, I really, I really miss my Vancouver friends and VIF is always a really great opportunity to see them for like an extended period of time. And this year was extra special because Steve was there. Yeah. And that was incredible. Uh, I wish we'd actually got time to get together to actually record a podcast together because that would have been like the icing on the cake but everybody's schedule was different and that's what it's like in a film festival like nobody sees the same stuff but this year felt like weirder than like usually like our schedules line up way more Mm -hmm. like way way more like melissa i think i saw you what twice if that maybe once i I don't yeah the old oak and red rooms i think were the was were those the only two films we saw together the miyazaki oh yeah and the miyazaki okay yeah and i only saw bill for like you know basically two days <laughs> like do you remember back in the day when we would record like four or five podcasts yes. or that they're in vif and it would be yes. like i see you every second day and we'd like yes. record a podcast yes like it's it it definitely didn't feel like that this year it also didn't help that you know most most days started at three yeah or four it instead it of really 10 like they used to mm-hmm. so there was more time to do that kind of stuff but it it's um it's a changing festival. Like that's it. That isn't VIF anymore. And I, I, I don't know if I like that. I, I, cause I'm the guy who wants to watch everything. So if I only have three slots a day or four slots a day at best, I'm seeing 40 films. Whereas, you know, my all time VIF record is like a hundred films at, in one festival. Like it's a completely changed festival. Uh, the, I thought the film's quality was was pretty good. I don't think there was much they didn't have other than uh, the lack of studio films. There was no studio films. There was no Netflix films, no Apple, no streamers. Uh, that that might have helped somewhat with the, the lineup, but I thought um, it, it covered the, the the big European films, the the good uh, American indies, the good there was good Canadian films. Yes. Be honest. There good are always Canadian. good Canadian films. You're just <laughs> yes, but Bill. Bill rarely thinks the Canadian. Films this is what I mean. I was going to yeah. say, like, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, you know, this, this, you know, I think Melissa said this is a banner year because I liked three Canadian films. Like, it's like a huge thing. So yeah, I thought the lineup was actually pretty good. Um, uh, I, I hope that uh, um, maybe they they figure out better. Uh, live stuff i didn't i wasn't really into seeing any of the live stuff at all i thought it was kind of a letdown but i know some people who went to some of the stuff and said it was pretty cool so oh, i went to see chris dirksen play and it was phenomenal it was yeah crazy. so yeah i'm glad people like that but as i said I'm, I'm there for the movies and i'm there for the you know vif always was about the movies but it's also as i said before it's more or less become like a thing where i can see my friends so i, I i'm really into that so uh yeah i had a great time then because i saw my friends and i saw some good movies so i thought that was a pretty awesome trip yay yeah but yeah Yeah, i I have no other thoughts it was just a fine festival it was the first (laughs) time i've like done proper vif in i don't know how many years so goodbye me i I too enjoy the i I enjoy the the social part of it because yeah like this is, I mean, VIF is really where I became friends with you guys. 
Um, it's also where I met Steve. Sadly, this year I didn't see Steve the entire festival, which was like a real bummer. Like I never, I never, I didn't even run into him at once during the but, film festival. But before so. my before my first movie, uh, I went to Chipotle because they don't have one in Victoria. Pretty good, by the way. And uh, I, I meet my my Chipotle, and I'm walking. I got, I got the music on. I'm pl- blasting some music, and I walked by Steve, and I I, I he like. I turn around and he's like, and he's like, what the fuck, Bill? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, hey, man. <laughs> so I saw Steve probably that time, and then I don't think I saw him for like another eight days. Okay, so the, really, the problem was then that I didn't need a Chipotle, I guess. Yeah. So well, I I randomly bumped into Steve. Uh, I think it was on day one or day two. Uh, my, like my second screening of the day, it was at the playhouse and I it was very early. I picked up coffee. I was coming around the corner and I'm like, is that Steve? <laughs> and then we <laughs> sat and chatted for, I don't know, 40 minutes before the movie started. And it was really nice. So, I mean, I, I, for me, one of the interesting parts about Viff, it almost feels like a reunion because there are people that I met at the festival years ago that I now only ever see at the festival. And then there's the regulars that you see every year that you don't even really know them. Like, I don't even know half of these people's names, but I see them every year. And every year it's the same conversation, except this year there was a lot of bitching from them that there weren't passes. They couldn't (laughs) see everything. But beyond that, you know, it's a really fun experience when you have a festival that's like kind of like that local and you you kind of, you know, you know, people, even when you don't think, you know, people, it's, it's cool. You you go, you only need to go two or three years before you start seeing the regulars. That's true. I will say too, like another thing that I really want to shout out before, and like they've been doing this for the last couple of years, but I do really, really appreciate the um, territorial welcome films that they run before each movie um, that sort of switch between Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish and Musqueam nations. I really think it's important that they're doing that work. And the land acknowledgement that the staff do on site is actually, um, I think, quite well done as well. And it's really nice to see that happen at the festival. Um, So yeah, I think sometimes they get like a bit of guff from people who get like I've heard people complain about seeing the films over and over and over again. Um, but I think like, I would much rather watch these territorial welcomes 16 times than the sponsor advertisements. Well, yeah, I, w- I was going to say, <laughs> so I, mean, I don't, I don't really understand what, what, what people's issue is with it, but I, I think they're really great. Um, I, like it's so nice seeing those films. It's so nice seeing the people in those films. Like, I feel like, I really want to run into them on the streets, but I because <laughs> like, I feel like I know them now. I'm like, Matt Paul, I feel like I know you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's really lovely to see them do that. And yeah, just wanted to give them a big kudos and shout out for that. I could second that. I'm also super happy that Telefilm Canada changed their, their dubstep commercial to like a new one because for like five years straight, it was that, that stupid dubstep commercial. And I hated that. I saw that like a hundred times a year and I wanted to just destroy Telefilm Canada. I like I like the dubstep one. To be really? Oh, yeah, I did. I did. I did. But I mean, come on, they're a federal entity. They get money to make these things like every 10 years. So they got to make it last. <laughs> Let's allocate funds. The music is, you know, ancient now. I also found it really funny that there was a Warner Brothers trailer for the hundred years of Warner Brothers and there wasn't a Warner Brothers movie at VIF. That was kind of weird. Yeah, advertising 101. Yeah. I don't I mean I don't actually know. 
be honest. Makes no sense. As long as I got money from it, uh, who cares? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, the, the other one that was I thought was interesting was the Academy Rolex commercial, which felt out of place. But I, I don't know. Sure, whatever, whatever works. But, Shall but yeah, we get? But, it, sorry, but, but yeah, for for being like the first, like almost like back to after COVID full festival, that felt pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. Uh, it uh, last year was weird, so this 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 was good. This felt better. Well, and this year they didn't have any online uh, offerings, which oh, to, yeah. uh, to be honest is like shocking to me, considering how much money they spent on building a platform. They did. Do they even push that platform anymore? Like I, I never see anything. I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I, don't I know. I don't think it's functional anymore, to be yeah. honest. Which is sad. I, I would I would take it off their hands if they wanted to sell it to me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it worked pretty good that year when I watched 90 films for like $45. That was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it has some advantages for sure. Yeah. Um, shall we get into some movies? Yeah. Do, do we want to do a uh, uh, sort of a, a countdown first, or do you guys want to talk about some other highlights that you saw before we get into countdown? I'm good either way. Let's let's do the countdown first. All right, let's start, start with third. So we're gonna do top five, which you know doesn't sound like a lot, but especially if you watched thirty movies or thirty some odd movies. But I know how many. I only watched fifteen. So I only watched feels, 16, so we're in the same boat, Marina. So five feels like a pretty solid number. Admit, I mean, admittedly, I didn't count. I think there were two movies at the festival that I'd already seen. So, hey, there was that. I was very proud of myself. <laughs> um, but where do you, who wants to start with their number five? Looking, looking. Should we start with Steve's number five since he's not sure. able to any of his choices? <laughs> I don't. I think I've only seen a couple of his. So St- Steve did send us a list. Uh, his number five is Promised Land. Did either of you see this? I did. It's uh, the Mads Mikkelsen film. Uh, oh, okay. About a, a lord who decides to start building a stead on unfertile land, but he finds a way to make it fertile. And the the, the guy around the area, who's the the big cheese, gets angry. And starts war with Mads Mikkelsen, and you don't want to do that. What's the, why would you fuck with Mads? I know, he looks like, angry. Like he looks like he's going to beat the shit out of you. And the original Norwegian title of the film is Bastarden. Like, oh, come on, yeah, come that. on. It's a good film. I really liked it. Uh, Mads is incredible. He's always incredible. The guy has so much emotion. It's just his face. Uh, it's uh, and just like Penelope Cruz, he's incredible in his native language. Also great in English, but man, he he, just, he rules in his native language. It's a great film. Yeah, uh, I thought it was like a kind of a. It's, it sounded to me like a uh, an ad to the festival that might just you know be for like the popcorn crowd, but it's actually a popcorn crowd that I, movie that actually worked as like a like a a, a good film for film uh, buffs too. Cool. Yeah, Mr. Bill, what's your number five? Um, uh, my number five is, uh, the new, the last, uh, the last Ken Loach film, the old Oak, uh, more of a, um, I Daniel Blake film than a win the shakes of barley film. 
um, you know, typical Ken Loach stuff, uh, lots of crying from Bill and lots of uh, happy moments too. Uh, I have a feeling this is going to be higher on both of your lists. Yeah. Most definitely higher. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys talk about it later, but yeah, number five, uh, the old Oak Ken Loach is great. I, I can, you know, one of the, one, one of the, the great A-list European filmmakers of all time. It's actually, I just looked at my list. It's also my number five. Oh, sweet. <laughs> um, I feel like I discovered Ken Loach with the one that shakes the barley, but I, I mean, he'd been working before then, hadn't he? Oh yeah. 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 His first film was Kess in the seventies. Yeah. Was, but yeah. like that, that was my discovery of him was the one that shakes the barley. And I've kind of been on the Loach bandwagon since then. And I've never gone back to watch any of his old stuff, but now that, you know, he's, no longer making movies. I kind of feel like maybe I need to go and revisit the earlier part of his career because yeah, he's just this, I think Melissa, you said it best. I, th- I think it was you that said it like, who is going to be the soul of movies now? No, the conscience. The, the conscience. Yeah. Cause that's exactly what he is. Like all of his films have this, um, just like this emotional center that is so human and so relatable and, really like sweet even through like the bad stuff i don't know he's just it, he's such a great filmmaker and he's just he's really so committed to i'll tell you like this is number three on my list um he he's so committed to telling working class stories yeah um and store and yeah stories of common people and i think that and and he and he does them in a way that is so touching and so moving and makes such strong political statements without like, I don't think he beats you over the head with the messaging, but it's still, it's still very strongly there. And I, yeah, I'm just not sure anyone else has that kind of deft touch with this kind of subject matter, the way that he does. And it makes me very sad that this is his last film. Um, I hope that he, I hope he just gets moved to make something else (laughs) soon and decides to come out like that retirement is not for him because uh yeah i just i don't see who is the i don't see an heir apparent for the kind of role that he plays in world cinema coriata sure i could go with that i love coriata so i think he's a genius so but yeah not we not could talk not, about coriata in a minute yeah not, not, not quite ken loach level but uh um coriata is awesome yeah. Melissa, what's your number five? My number five is actually the first movie that I saw at VIF this year, um, which was uh, Green Border, which is uh, Agnieszka Holland's film, brilliant film, about the treatment of uh, non-European refugees at the Belarus and Polish border. Um, and this was something that I, I only had a vague awareness of. I mean, I know that I know that refugees coming, especially from Africa and from the Middle East, have a really hard time accessing the EU. Um, and I know that um, that like that many people have died trying to get to the European Union. Um, I was not aware of the political football that was being played with people's lives on the Belarus-Polish border until I saw this film, uh, because essentially people were arriving in Belarus. Uh, we're paying people to transport them across the border. Um, and then 
it was basically the Belarusian security forces and the Polish border guards were punting people back and forth across the border. So they couldn't claim asylum anywhere. Um, And in the process, like you're following one particular family who's come from Syria. um, And you see them lose family members. And uh, the whole thing is quite brutal and disgusting. Um, and then, so you follow this entire film for two hours. And then at the end, she has this sort of brilliant bit where she's showing the Polish reception of Ukrainian refugees from the most recent war. And it's like a night and day difference. It's like, if you're white, you have a free pass. <laughs> Every, everything is fine. Everyone wants to resettle you. They welcome you with open arms. Um, and if you're coming from other parts of the world, that is definitely not the case. Um, so I'm not sure I've seen a film that throws that blatant racism into such sharp relief as this film does. Um, I thought it was quite brilliantly done. Um, and I think Holland is, is, is just a brilliant director. I mean, she's, she's worked on things like the wire. Um, yeah, just, just a really good sensibility for storytelling. Yeah. I also, I also saw it too. It's a really brutal film. Uh, felt like I needed a shower after watching this one. Uh, but, uh, yeah, she, you know, the, the, the two armies are literally playing football with each other. You said that punting them back and forth. And it's just like that. It's, uh, a wild film. Uh, it's, I think it's a little too long. Like it's close to three hours, two and a half and, hours. I was Yeah. And I, I was feeling it at the end, but it's a very good film. Um, yeah, definitely. How do you recommend it? Now, wait, is this a documentary? No. No. Oh. It's fictionalized, but it's based on true stories. Okay. Okay. Oh, I want to add to my list. Oh, gosh. It's going to be a really, br- <laughs> it's going to be a really bad end of the year. I can just feel it now. All these like three hour marathons I'm going to have to sit through and all of them are depressing and overwhelming. And I'm going to be a puddle of tears at the end of the, uh, of the award season. I can just feel it now. Feel it now. Uh- I didn't like, I didn't find this runtime great. Like this, this, it, I, it didn't feel like a three hour movie to me. Um, but maybe that's because I was so angry for large swaths of it. <laughs> I lost track of the time. <laughs> um, number four, uh, Steve's number four is the Royal Hotel. And I feel like I can't talk too much because he's not here to defend his, uh, his uh, pick. But man, I did not like this movie at all. <laughs> Did anybody here like it? I didn't see it. So okay, I, have well, no, I have no opinion. I didn't think it was bad. I just didn't like the ending at all. And I thought some of the ch- the choices the filmmaker maker made were a little weird. But uh, I liked the performances. And I thought it was pretty well shot. Uh, I liked some of the acting, especially from the two female leads. And a couple of the Australian blokes. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a little... I'd heard a lot about this film and I don't think it quite hit what people were saying, but it's, it's not a bad film. Uh, yeah. I don't, it's, it's a, it's a Netflix film. 
for me. It really the, does feel like uh, let's dump this on a Thursday so people will watch it on Friday and then forget about it by Monday. At least that's how I felt about it. I mean, I really like Julia Gardner like a lot. I think she's super talented and she's getting some good acclaim. I just I wish this movie was better. I just didn't really did not care for it. And I feel really bad that I'm dumping on one of uh, Steve's favorites. So I'm going to stop there. I just for, it wasn't. For that's me. okay. We, we're, we now we have to give Steve like two minutes of rebuttal time on the next podcast. <laughs> the, the, I'm there. The best part about Royal Hotel is that it had massively sold out screenings at VIF and then opened the next day in a Vancouver theater, which I went to because I screwed my schedule up and missed Royal Hotel. And I was the only person in the theater. (laughs) Welcome to movies. Welcome to movies. (laughs) (laughs) And it also didn't open in my hometown because I guess they lost interest in it making very little money or something because it did not open. Oh boy. Yeah. Bill, what was your number four? Okay, so uh, I know you guys didn't see this one. Uh, I, I, I got to read this because it's a really long title. Uh, my number four is, do not speak too much f- about the end of the world from Radu Jude. Uh, another three-hour film about uh, like a Seinfeld episode. Absolutely nothing but he's an absolutely insane filmmaker. It's really hard to talk about this film because it's just a PA from a movie driving around talking to people and a lot of really weird shit goes on in the background. Uh, he's an insane filmmaker. He's uh, Romanian. He's 46. He made really nice films and kind of got really pissed off at society and just started making really wacky films his last film loony porn was nuts this one is nuts uh if you have a chance to see this go for it it's long it's it might alienate the hell out of you but i'm telling you it works in the end it's strange it probably shouldn't work and the last hour is one shot of somebody getting progressively angrier it's really cool. Uh, he's an incredible filmmaker. I look forward to anything this guy makes. And uh, I'm, I'm super happy I got to see this right early enough to like tell people to go and see it. But um, I, I hope you guys get a chance to see it, actually. It's, it's incredible. Well, you guys showed me the trailer. Well, you showed me the trailer after some screening. And I was like, okay, this looks ridiculous. And <laughs> a Looney Born sounds hilarious. I definitely have to figure find that somewhere. Because that just sounds too funny. I need to watch it. Yeah. Looney Porn's about a, a teacher whose sex video gets leaked online. And the the, the, the student's uh, parents start to revolt to try to get her fired. And she's really angry about it and decides that, no, I'm not going to get fired. It's pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, a, he's a really strange filmmaker. But uh, I, I, I dig his vibe. I dig his vibe. <laughs> Uh, my number four, which maybe is higher on your list, I'm gonna guess is Monster, the new Corriera. Higher. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> I really like this movie. It's very sweet. It's a really great story. For a while, I was like, where is this going? I'm not really sure what's happening. And then I think I clued in about an hour in exactly what was going on. That and it was that- Rashomon? Pretty much. Well, yeah, I, but yeah. it took me a while to figure out what was happening. But the, I think the thing that sealed the deal for me was that final shot. I'm like, okay, 
Thank you. That's amazing. And <laughs> uh, this did when I I did notice I didn't notice it at the beginning though I did see like a con thing, but it won like a screenplay award at the festival, which makes sense because it is a beautiful beautifully written story but it's just so touching the performances from the boys are is so nice and it's just a really great little movie um but yeah that ending is top notch that's master filmmaking right there <laughs> Did you well, let's say your number four my number four um and this might be high this might be higher maybe it's on maybe it didn't make it list. i don't know uh red rooms higher, higher. okay well we can hold off and talk about it when we get to yours um i yeah i just uh i a movie has not made me this uncomfortable in a very long time i feel like um and that is not a cinematic experience that is for everybody but it is definitely one that i like i like to be provoked by what i'm watching so um so yeah that one it was it was pretty great and probably the most discussion out of any of the films i saw at biff felt like it provoked the most amount of discussion amongst audience members afterwards like in line for bathroom like coming out of the theater people were like gathered together with strangers talking about it which is my absolute favorite thing about a film festival experience because vancouver is a cold city and nobody talks to each other except at the vancouver international film festival <laughs> I actually had a similar experience after um, Anatomy of a Fall because um, I, 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 it ended pretty late. There was like a big group of people that walked to the Skytrain. Everybody was talking. And the Skytrain was literally full of people that had just gone to that movie. So you could get like little snippets of conversation from like the different groups. There was, I think that one also generated quite a bit of post film chatter for sure. I was holding court in the uh, Playhouse lobby after Anatomy of a Fall because I had a really weird theory and everybody wanted to hear it. And they wanted to tell me how full of shit I was. And I was like, you're wrong and I'm right. Fuck you guys. And this was totally, like, I did not plan this, but Steve's number three is Anatomy of a Fall. Nice. <laughs> I just, I'm looking down at the list and like, oh, Steve's number three, the one we're talking about now. I... I didn't put this on my list. I mean, I did really enjoy it. Um, it's a really interesting story. I didn't look up the 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 actress's name. Bill, you might know it off the top of your head. Sandra Huller? Yeah, because she had a moment. She was like in like two or three films at the festival. She's had yeah. a really good year. And she her, the performances in this film are fantastic. I just thought it was okay. Like I I I didn't think it was like remarkable in any sort of way. Um, I, for me, the most interesting bit of the film was the whole thing with the son, uh, it, particularly in the courtroom. Um, but beyond that, I thought it was fine. Like I, I, I don't understand the, all the buzz. To be totally honest, like I thought it was fine. Maybe I missed something. I don't know. No, you pretty much said exactly what I thought of the film. Okay. So I wasn't alone. No, I, th- I thought it was. I thought it was a good film, but yeah. it won the palm. But it won the palm door. Yeah, I know. So like, I was expecting. I don't know something groundbreaking. I guess I don't know. I thought it was great, but and the, and then that that movie ended, and forty five minutes later, I watched another film that should have won the palm door. Oh, I have a feeling I know what this might be. <laughs> yeah. So, what's your got, number three? Uh, my number three is uh, Herakles of Coriata's latest masterpiece, Monster. 
Uh, Coriana keeps on making pretty much the same entire film over and over again, and I love it every time, and I cry every time. Every time. Uh, he's, a, he's a master filmmaker, as, you, as Marina said. Uh, he is quite possibly the in the top 10 of working filmmakers today. Uh, everything he makes hits. Is this as good as Shoplifters? Probably not. But that was a pretty special film. It is not as good as Nobody Knows or any of his like incredible films. But this is still like a home run when the other ones were like grand slams. Like he's still an incredible filmmaker. And um I think that uh between Koreeda and uh Hamaguchi, uh Japan is just making killer films right now. Uh this and I, I hope that I hope Coriana gets more notice in North America. I think he's, as I said, I think he's an incredible filmmaker. And uh, this, you know, I saw some pretty cool films of this, and this was a really good film. This this could have been a number one kind of film for me, um, but it's it's not sadly. But uh, yeah, good stuff. The thing I think is interesting about Coriana is pretty much everybody that I know in the local film circles, like praises him as like this amazing filmmaker and then you step outside of the festival circuit and like nobody knows who Coriata is and I mean he does I don't even know his first name at this point like <laughs> it's just like the one name guy <laughs> but this is what I mean like he is so prolific at this point that it's Coriata and everybody knows who it is and I, I think you're the one that told me Bill because I couldn't remember I didn't know if I'd seen a Coriata film <laughs> But I saw one with you years ago. And I think that might be the only one that I've seen other than Monster. Wow. And I don't know why. I think for me, it's always been sort of just a case of, I know that those screenings are always going to be super busy. And I try to avoid being in a position where I might get locked out of a movie. <laughs> so See, I just I just avoid them. Supposedly, uh, you know how creative screenings are always nuts and if Yeah. They weren't this year. But they didn't. They screen that three times. They did, but and uh, they were all standby. Yeah, but there was a lot of empty seats they in my were. screening. Yeah, and uh, I was quite shocked. Uh, if you're a fan of Radiohead, uh, it's the B sides on OK Computer. There's a song called Videotape. Radiohead wrote a song about Coriata. It's Videotape about the film Afterlife. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm a nerd. I, I don't know why I know that, but Hey, I thought I would say it. <laughs> That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Um, mine number three was, uh, raging grace. Uh, Paris Zarsilla's. Is, is it even, a, I don't think it's a horror movie. It's a thriller with a political, uh, message about, um, uh, support workers, I guess. Yeah. I would say that. I thought it was really good. Like, I thought it was, like, clearly it's my number three film. I really enjoyed it because mostly because it was unexpected. I didn't really know. I thought I was going in to watch a movie about a single mom who is trying to, you know, basically stay afloat. She doesn't have a home. She's in the UK basically illegally. Uh, she doesn't have a place to live. So she's she spends extended period of time uh, in houses where, where she cleans and people have gone on vacation. So she and her daughter are constantly moving from place to place. And then she goes to this, 
she does a favor for a friend and ends up getting this, what appears to be a sweet gig that turns out to be the worst mistake she's ever made in her entire life. And I, the, what I thought was interesting is that it, it does, it doesn't, show, it doesn't like display itself as a horror movie. And it really isn't, but it does have these, it does play with some of the uh, functionality of a horror movie. Like you do get some jump scares and there is some like eeriness about, the woman beside me was losing her shit. Like, I, I I can't remember. I think it was Bill that was in the same screening. And legitimately, like, two minutes in, she jumped, like, three feet out of her chair. And this was her for the entire movie. And at one point, she's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. For, like, five minutes straight. I'm like, lady, seriously. Like, I can't even listen to what's happening on screen. I didn't think it was that scary. But apparently... <laughs> Bill can attest to the fact that it's not really a horror movie. No, it did have a couple audio jump scares though that yes. were like really like harsh. Yes, uh, that little kid's a bastard, eh? Oh, total. Yeah, the, the one, the one, the one movie where you know the kid is not the nice kid. I'm like, kid, just stay fucking put. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> Every time mom turns around, I'm like, that's it. Mom's gonna get fucking caught because her daughter just won't listen. What is up with this kid? Mm. Yeah, good film. I didn't think it was great, but I thought it was good. I really enjoyed it a lot, clearly. Uh, Melissa, your number three. My number three was The Old Oak. So, uh-huh. it. <laughs> but uh, I also, okay, I will say, though, everyone warned me that they were all crying in this movie. And so I thought that this was going to be, you know, like I, Daniel Blake, where like I was ugly crying in I, Daniel Blake. But this was, I did cry, but it was like tears because it was beautiful, yeah. not tears because it ripped your heart out and stomped on it the way some of his movies have done. So I just want to preface that if anyone's thinking <laughs> of not seeing it because they're not sure that they're ready. It's tears because of the beauty of what's happening. It's not tears because you're going to be traumatized at the end. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming, I'm just telling the world that I'm soft, but I was literally crying 45 seconds into this film. It's the beginning. The beginning of this film is brutal. It is. It is. And I was so disgusted, and it just it hit me like a weird wave, and I just started crying. I don't know. I cried at the end. Yeah, it's it, the the beginning is the first couple minutes of the old oak is kind of gross and very strong. Yeah, it and is. Uh, you know, <laughs> of course, you, it wouldn't be a Ken Loach film in Canada without subtitles. Can't forget that, by the way. <laughs> okay, listen. I appreciated the subtitles. I went to see. Whoa, I can't remember what it was. Something how to have sex. I think it was called. That movie needed freaking subtitles. Like I did not understand half of that movie. It was intense. Like I honestly <laughs> did not know what anybody was saying. But okay. Besides the point. Uh, Steve's number two is the old oak. Wow. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of the same films. A lot of the same films. And we've already talked about his number one, but we'll get there in a minute. Uh, so, Bill, what is your number two? My number two is Red Rooms. Uh, I texted Marina after I saw this film. I'm like, look, buddy, I know you don't need this. That film's a little rough. <laughs> Just a little rough. And for me to say that, that film really got under my skin. Uh, and that is awesome as melissa said i kind of dig that and uh uh i saw the first screening and the second screening of that that film must have been 
packed because everybody I know who saw that first screening told everybody they knew to go and see that film. And I think it was the the the, the breakout of VIF, the one that everybody was talking about. And uh, I'm super happy because the filmmaker looked like a really cool dude. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it uh, was the opening film of Fantasia and also won Best Feature at Fantasia and deserved every damn prize it won. Uh, hope people get to see it. Hopefully, you know, maybe some some love from VIF will get it, you know, some distribution. But man, it's a good film. That's a really good film. It's yeah, I stuck list. around. I stuck around for the Q and A with uh, Pascal Plant, who's the director, um, and it was great. Like his previous film was Nadia Butterfly, which is quite a different, yeah, <laughs> quite totally a different. different. And so he was saying, like, yeah, this was his first foray into genre filmmaking, and he said, you know, the thing that I really love about people who are into genre movies is that you know they want you to mess with their brain. Like that is what that's what genre that's what genre fans want. They want a film that messes with their brain. And it was so like liberating to be able to work on something like that. Um yeah. And I was like, yep, it's it, you mission accomplished. You definitely messed with my brain. Um it's I love these kind of films where you're not sure what to make of the protagonist. Like what are there motivations? Is this someone you should be rooting for or not? Like it is, uh, this was, yeah, a really she, uncomfortable watch and great. She, she does some stuff at the end of the film that is just undescribable. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, cool. <laughs> Let's and st- go. Yeah. And I mean, I still don't fully understand what, happened like i watched it i think conceptually i understand what was happening on screen but the motivations are still completely unclear so i'm looking forward to an opportunity to catch up with this again and i really really wish i would have stayed i almost feel like i should have just skipped whatever i was going to see next because nothing would have been better than staying for that q a but i did leave and now i still regret it um but man that movie hit in a way in a really good way it's been a while since something has kind of pulled me over like that um so i was really really happy to see something i i wish filmmakers would take more of a chance and not rely solely on genre filmmaking in, in order to take chances i understand that feeling that uh you know you kind of have to play to an audience but i wish filmmakers didn't have to worry about that and they could just make the films they wanted to make and that they they were free enough to be able to do that but you know Distribution is hard, making money is hard, getting funding is hard. So I understand you have to play within, you know, certain boundaries. I wish that that wasn't necessarily the case, but it's always really fantastic to see a filmmaker like just go at it and fuck, he goes at it. I mean, this very much is like a courtroom procedural drama totally. on top of being, you know, yes. like it, it doesn't sort of neatly fit into genre box either. I no, don't. no. It's also um, not violent. No, no. Well, not on screen. No, exactly. it's, it's all about audio. Yeah. The audio is just works yeah. really well. But yeah. this is not a lot of actual violence in the film. And for us no. to be talking about how this really got under his skin, you would automatically assume that it was like, you know, people getting skinned or something. No, this is not that film. It is on another level. Well, to be fair, I mean, there is a lot of violence in this film. It is about a serial killer who murders young girls. Um, So there is a ton of violence referenced in the movie, but none of it is visible on on screen. screen. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't use that as the thing that gets under your skin, which I really appreciate. I fully agree. Fully agree. We could talk about this movie. Like, we could dissect it 
shot by shot, I would be in my happy place. It is, I, I mean, I won't hide. It's my number one film. Like, I fucking love this thing to death. It might be my number one film of the year at the rate that we're going. But Jesus, it, it's like, for me, this was on another level. And, I'm, and, I'm and, and just for like, for reference, it supposedly is out on Blu-ray on November 7th. Oh, you really? You know Canada. I'm going. You know I'm going to Vinomatica that that weekend to yeah. see if I can get my hands on that thing. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Happening. Yeah, I, so hopefully that'll you know, you know, maybe it'll play other genre festivals throughout the year. Uh, hopefully it does. People catch up with it there. But if you can't, uh, probably worth a a blind buy on this one. Trust us, this one's the goods. It is definitely the goods. Definitely the goods. I was thinking. The other day, I'm like, you know, that would make a really good double feature with Nightcrawler. Just because oh, why yeah. not just fuck my world? Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> um, my number two film is Humanist Vampire Seeking conv- Consenting Suicidal Person. I had to look at like that title. I'm like, I, honestly, the title I saw it and I was like, oh, that could be a movie for me just because it's a strange title. I want books about vampires. Not any vampire that I've ever seen. Um, I really enjoy this movie. It's, I don't know if it's like the best thing I saw, but it just, it hit my happy place. It, it's, it's this very unconventional vampire story like in this universe where, you know, vampires are a thing and they're around, but they're just like walking around in society. And this family, I guess at some age you develop your fangs. And so (laughs) this young girl uh, has never managed to develop her fangs. So mom and dad are still hunting for her. And she's now like, I don't know, maybe in her late teens, early twenties, maybe older. Um, But uh, then she has an encounter where her fangs do come out. And it's this really funny kind of like coming of age story about this vampire (laughs) trying to hunt on her own. It's, it's black and white. It's a little quirky. It's a little bit funny. I don't think it's quite as funny as people made it out to be like the screening that I was at. People were laughing like uncontrollably. And I don't think it's that movie, but I just had such a good time with it. I thought it was really charming, like really charming and fun. And then every once in a while, there's like this streak of violence. And you're like, holy shit, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but it, it's it's fun. It's fun. I liked it a lot. I saw it after the festival. It actually opened locally. Really? Uh, yeah, I was like, okay, cool. And uh, uh, I, dug, I dug it too. Uh, I love the Adams family kind of vibe of the family. Mm. That's very cool. Uh, I also like the fact that the vampires grow in age. Yeah. yeah. I was like, that's a cool idea. Like I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah, uh, it's starts, a really neat concept. Like yeah. to bring anything new to vampires is like so far, far, far in between, but it, it, this one did it. I thought it was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For a pretty fun film. And Melissa, what's your number two? My number two is um, I used to be funny, which is the, um, which is the feature film debut uh, for director Ali Pankew, who's a Canadian writer and director. She wrote, uh, she did some writing on Schitt's Creek. She's done direction on Shrill and The Great, brilliant, like top tier television, and has now made the jump to features. Um, I thought this movie was brilliant. It's really, really well written. It deals with some pretty um, heavy subject matter around sexual assault and recovery and relationships. Um, but it does it in a way where there's still a lot of funny bits. 
Um, <laughs> amazingly, I think because of the context, because um, because the the lead character who's played by uh, everyone's favorite indie queen, Rachel Sonat, is uh, is is as an occupation, she's a stand up comedian. Um, and it was also really cool to see uh, Sabrina Jalise in this. Um, she's a stand up comedian that's been around the Canadian scene for a long time. Um, and did a great job in a dramatic role, I thought. Um, I just, the way that this film is written and how the story kind of unfolds, because it kind of starts at the end and you don't know what's happened to this person. You just know that something terrible has happened, but you don't really understand what it is and how that all kind of unfolds, I think I thought was quite brilliantly written. So yeah, that would be I my number two. I didn't see that one. I did. Blind spot. It's, it's easily the best film of the century. Of the century. For those, for, for those of you uh, listening, <laughs> Bill's being heavily sarcastic. He hated this movie, and I loved it, adored it, and I told him that we were probably not going to be friends anymore after this podcast. The, uh, the, 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 the seven hours in length of this film was more than enough for me at the Rio, uh, to the point where I had to stand up because my legs were just hurting too much. Um, yeah, just did not like it at all. Uh, I don't really want to argue about it, but, uh, I also don't like Canadian films. This felt really cheap to me. So, uh, I, but I do like Rachel Snot, but hell watch Shiva baby instead. Thank you. Oh, she has much better range in this film. Um, also I, I would say like the, the, the entire, like the, the theater that I saw it in was jam packed full of people. And I was one of the oldest people there. And I'll tell you, this film did definitely hit with the Gen Z audience and the millennial audience. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, partly because Rachel Sonat is their queen, but, um, also because it's a really, it was a really good movie. It was very well done. Hopefully it gets uh, picked up and uh, I get a chance to catch up with it. Cause at this point I'm just curious about it now. Um, okay. So well, uh, my opinion is the definitive one on this one, Marina, not Bill's. So <laughs> this, this film is so great. It's not only going to win Gemini's it's going to win Juno's like it's going to cross over into music. It's so fucking good. Like hey, there's like two Phoebe Bridgers songs in this movie. The soundtrack <laughs> is fucking killer. So Bill, you are not far off. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. All right. Number ones. Number one. I'm going to move this conversation along to the number ones. Uh, Steve's number one. We've already talked about. It's uh, Coriata's monster. Good for Steve. Good for Steve. It's, Bill, a, it's an incredible film. It is. Uh, yeah. Uh, we've we've already talked about it. But good on you, Steve. Bill, your number one. Uh, is Jonathan Glazer's The Zone of Interest. Uh, man, this movie. Uh, I, I still don't think I feel good about this film. Uh, it's so disgusting. Uh, and you talk about films that make you, you know, Maria's talking about the end of the year is going to be about films that are going to make me cry and make me feel yeah. like terrible. Wait till you see Zone of Interest, buddy. Yeah. The score of the film is people getting shot. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to be like, I'm ready to have like the most depressing award season of all time. It, it's so coming. I've, I've seen the writing on the wall. It's the day in the life of a family who lives behind Auschwitz. 
and their daily stuff is more or less trying on the clothing of the Jews that are being killed in Auschwitz and eating their food and stuff like that. I'm not going to get more into it, but it gets progressively worse. And I felt disgusting after it. It's like the worst Michael Haneke hell you've ever been in, but maybe worse. Uh, but you cannot say it's not an incredible film. Jonathan Glazer is an incredible filmmaker. He's made four films and they're all pretty damn amazing, uh, especially Under the Skin, which I think is one of the great underrated science fiction masterpieces ever. Uh, and I think Birth is actually really stupidly great too. Oh, but, Birth is uh, brilliant. Yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, this one is going to destroy stalls in December and I can't wait to hear what you guys think about it. But until then, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to watch this again, but holy shit, is it great? And and this is the thing with Glazer, and I think it's something that gets overlooked when we talk about like the great American filmmakers or what. Well, he's British, right? British. Yeah, but I mean, in the 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 talk of you know, great filmmakers, he's often overlooked. I think because he only has four films. Well, now four before three, so it's easy to overlook because he doesn't have you know, 15 movies under his belt, but it, you can't dispute the fact that the man doesn't make movies very often, but when he does, he is not fucking around. No. Ever. And it's, and it's weird that he started with sexy beast. Yeah. Wait, it, wait, it's that movie is so unlike, like it's still like you watch it now. I mean, I, it's, it hasn't been that long since I've rewatched that and you can still already see that this is no like regular bloke filmmaker, but it's, it feels like a party in comparison to everything else he's made. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, and then you watch it and you're like, this is the party. Like what the fuck is the rest of his filmmaking? Like Jesus. And, and uh, yeah, uh, it's, it's also weird. Like there's an overture at the beginning of the film. And it really fucked with the VIF audience. Like nobody knew what was going on. And the, there's like a scene in the middle of the film where the screen just goes red. Like it's really strange. You, you guys are not ready for this. You're not ready for it. It's that it's that good, but it's also that disgusting. It's yeah. the, the, the biggest horror film of the year. I could go with that. Uh, the trailer yeah. is disturbing as shit. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, Especially after context, because when you watch the trailer, if you don't know what's going on, you're like, what the hell is this thing? Like, it's not obvious. No. Until you read it and then you're like, what is happening? I, like, I, it's, I, I don't know. I don't know if I'm mentally, I don't know if I'll ever be mentally prepared for some of it. Yeah. And that's the reality of it. You've, you've all been warned. <laughs> uh, we already talked about my number one red rooms. There's nothing else to add. If if it's near you, go see it. Do not wait. Do not pass. Do not go to jail or whatever. Just go straight to the movies. <laughs> I, that was, at this point, I, I just don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, Melissa, you're number one. Well, my, so my number one was actually Marina's number one film for the first half of the year. Yes. <laughs> before any of us got to see it at VIF, but um, my number one film from VIF was uh, was Robot Dreams. 
Oh, so good. Because it's just too, it was just so phenomenal. It's I, like, there are not a lot of movies that break your heart and then heal it. And this one is one of those movies. It's just really lovely. It's a really lovely meditation on relationships and people coming in and out of your life at the right times. And there's no dialogue and it's entirely animated. And there was a probably three or four year old girl sitting in front of me for this screening who was like perfectly happy and entertained by what was on screen. But this movie is not, it's not a kid's animation. It's really, um, it's really aimed at adults. So um, it was just really beautiful and delightful. And every single person in the theater was happy that they were there. So, yeah. Co-signed. Co-signed. I'm not going to ruin the song. There's also a song in this film that I had stuck in my head for like two weeks after. And it's only been a week after Biff. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Bring me fire, baby. <laughs> oh, it, it's such a good movie. I'm so glad people are discovering it. I, I really hope that more folks have a chance to see it and that uh, uh, Neon does a, a nice wide distribution on it because it really does deserve to be seen. It's so, so, so lovely. I think so, it is so supposed to open in November, right? Isn't it? Hopefully. Well, if you guys keep talking, I will look it up. <laughs> no, I I, uh, I completely agree with everything you guys said. It's it's pretty uh, pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, that... Uh, that was that was a pretty fun screening. You could tell, you can tell when when theaters are vibing with the film, and that was a vibe film, really cool. And yeah, I remember texting Marina right after. You were right. You, you were bet right. I was. You bet I was. So <laughs> I don't actually know if it's opening in North America before the end of the year. The uh, the French release isn't slated until Christmas, the December twenty seventh. So I guess it'll be a matter of wait and see. I don't know. It is a good one. If you have a chance to see it, highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, any, okay. Any disappointments? I'm going to bring up uh, uh, Steve's uh, list of disappointments. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, no. I don't know if I had any real disappointments, to be totally honest. I mean, I didn't watch a lot of movies, so I was very, very selective on what I did watch. Um, I have to think about it. I, I actually wasn't prepared with the list of disappointments, so I, I, I don't know if I have one. If you want me to, I, I can. Yeah, go for it. While, while, while you think about it, my my first film I saw at VIF was called Snow in Midsummer, and it might be the worst film I've ever seen at VIF. Wow! Really? Yeah, avoid the living shit out of that film. If you ever see that at a film festival, I just don't even watch it. You've been warned. Listen to Bill; he's always right. Uh, Sometimes. I also want to point out that my final day at VIF was supposed to be the the home run day. I had Boy in the Heron. I had Monster. I had Pot of Foe, and I had Priscilla. These were the big films at the festival. And let me tell you. One of those films was really good. <laughs> Monster. <laughs> Monster. Uh, Boy and the Heron was kind of disappointing, but still kind of good. You expect a lot from Hayao Miyazaki, and I don't think this film hits as well as as, as well as I thought it was going to hit. As good as I thought it was going to hit, it's just it's. It's a very good film, but it's felt kind of like something I'd already seen for him before. But is it a really good film? I I 
I would argue that it's not. Yeah, I liked it. I just didn't think it was like even as like like stuff that I, I'm not like a like like Pocoroso. I'm not a big fan of that movie. I think it's better mm. than Pocoroso. I think it's you know it's probably better than Ponyo. But uh, yeah, I I I, I, I I was really unimpressed by it. Like I. I, I do think it's very much less for Miyazaki. Uh, I mean, it looked like visually it's beautiful. I mean, there's no denying the fact that uh, Ghibli knows how to make a really beautiful looking movie. I just, I found the story and the themes and just the, like, I, I didn't care for any of it. Yeah. To, to be fair, that, that third act was a little bit gobbledygook. I mean, yeah. A little bit. Yeah, I will say though they like G Kids has nailed the the American voice casting for for that movie. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. And then then I saw Monster, which was great. And then I saw Pot of Foe, which everybody thought was going to be like the the film of the festival. And I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. I thought it slows down in the middle, and uh, you know, give me Babette's feast over that any day of the week, which is a goddamn masterpiece if there ever was one. And then Priscilla was absolute trash. Trash. Didn't like it I, at all. I, I agree. I had really high hopes for Priscilla. It was one of the first movies that I booked with my ticket pack on that early booking day. Um, and because I love Sofia Coppola. I do. I love her films. I think she has a great sensibility. This film is all surface and no substance. I mean, if if we were supposed to walk away from this, feeling like Priscilla had chosen her own life as opposed to being, you know, the wife of the largest pop star in the world. I don't understand what she was going towards. Like there was really nothing about her dreams, her aspirations, her as a human being, aside from her relationship with Elvis. Like I felt like this was just as reductive of Priscilla as a person and as a character as the Baz Luhrmann film had the character of Priscilla was in the Baz Luhrmann film. Like, I don't mm. think this added anything to our, to our understanding of her as a person. Really all I took away from this movie was, Oh wow. Like, yeah, Elvis totally groomed this very young girl. I had no idea that, that she was that young when they met and that like, I, I had, I, I had no idea about that part of their relationship um but literally that's the only thing that i've taken that i took away from from this film it's i mean it, it's beautiful like the the production design the costuming is gorgeous um jacob alordi made a, a much better elvis than i thought he would um and kaylee spaney does what she can with what she's been given but there's not a whole lot to dig into there so it's very pretty and it says nothing and that's a real shame. I'm. It's really funny to me because you're now the second person that has said to me, I didn't realize, realize Priscilla was that young. And I, I that had never shocked me. Like, I thought that was kind of like common knowledge. Um, Patty, who I'd given my tickets to, she's like, oh, I, I thought she was older when she met Elvis. I'm like, no. Oh, I mean, it's, I mean, I thought it was pretty common, like that everybody knew that she was like barely out of her teens. Like she was like 13 or 14 when she first met him. Yeah. Um, so I, it, it's just striking to me that this is not like part of the common 
knowledge, I guess. But I, I thought it was interesting because uh, the time seems to be now to make a movie like this, or at least a movie about anything related to Elvis. I don't think it's too surprising that we had a movie about Elvis, now a movie about Priscilla in such close proximity to each other, because the reality of it is, I don't think the younger generation fucking cares who Elvis is, and they certainly don't care about Priscilla or really anything that's older than what they, you know, remember from five years ago. And I'm totally generalizing and I feel really bad about that. And then on the other hand, I don't. <laughs> um, what's, but, the, uh, what's the best biopic of all time? Wait, it's a trick question. They all suck. Oh, I don't know. Control is... Control oh, is a biopic. You always bring up Control. That's a good one, but that's about it. So, <laughs> damn you. Sorry? Malcolm X. Spike Lee's yeah. Malcolm X. Yeah. So so two out of the <laughs> 185,000 biopics that have been made? Okay. Cool. Wait, wait, no. There was the um, uh, the one with... Um, oh, I'm not going to remember what it's called. I'm not even going to try. But hey, Control always comes to mind because I fucking love that movie. That's a good so one. Good. The, where's where's the, the 4K of that disc? I want that yeah. pretty bad. Black and white, ooh, sexy. Oh, it, it's a really nice looking movie too. Yeah. What happened to Anton? Like he he made a couple of movies. I think the last one was a spy thriller with um, George Clooney, and I don't think he's made anything since. No, that was a good movie actually. It was a good movie. He's a good filmmaker. He but okay, filmmaker. I, I I digress. And he made good Nirvana videos. Yes, he did make very good. He just, he's a wonderful photographer and a really great uh, music guy all around. But okay, we're, we're digressing. Uh, I did find um, uh, Steve's list and he actually, I thought he had a couple of disappointments, but he only really had one. And if anybody saw his Instagram rant, which was quite long, I think it was well over a minute long. Uh, he really, really, really didn't care for I'm just here for the riot. Uh, which is the documentary about uh, the Vancouver uh, riot after the 2011 Stanley Cup run. Um, and so I listened, I, I did watch his rant and then I did watch the doc and I'm like, okay, I, 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 I didn't feel that angry at the end of the documentary. So I don't know. I just didn't think it told me anything I'd already didn't know. Yeah, it's yeah. very, very straightforward. I yeah. mean, I do, I have to say, I really, really appreciate the fact that um, Kathleen Jamie is basically become the sports historian for yeah, Vancouver. Yeah, this, exactly. Yeah. Like she is the documentarian for Vancouver sports stuff. And I think that's actually kind of cool. She's completely found a niche that works for her and that, you know, doesn't really get covered anywhere else. And, you know, it's it's helped her build a name for herself. And even though I didn't really care for this, I thought it was fine. Like there's, I didn't think there was anything particularly wrong with it. Um, it's just, if you lived in Vancouver and you were here or knew about Anything that happened with the rise, there's like nothing new here. I actually oh. thought the most interesting part of the doc is what um, Steve complained about, which was that she had given uh, some of these individuals an opportunity to kind of like not redeem themselves, but to, to talk about their experience after the fact. And I actually thought, thought that was the more interesting part of the movie because now you're starting to get into – like, it's easy to forget that in 2011, cell phones were just becoming a thing that people had all the time in their pocket. 
it was when it's the first time that like video and streaming became like a thing, like the riots, anything that was like a big public event before that, you didn't have a cell phone that you could take like 30 seconds of live video. So it's that I thought was way more interesting than the actual documentary itself. But like within the context of the context of everything, I actually thought it was pretty interesting. Nothing to write home about, but it's one of these, uh, Oh, uh, Bill, remind me of the... 30, 30 for 30 on ESPN and TSN in Canada. Yeah. I think it airs sometime next year. Yeah, so it, it's going to be widely viewable. And yeah, just the fact that somebody is like documenting the sports stuff that's happening in town is kind of awesome. I'm thinking like, what's left? She's she's talked about finding big country. She did a Grizzlies documentary. Is there another sports team that almost happened here that uh, I, I don't know about? I, I don't know. There must be. There must be. Uh, for disappointments, for me personally, I think my first movie of the festival was pretty disappointing, uh, La Chimera. And I think I I really was not prepared. I, I clearly didn't do my research. I thought this sounded great. I was bored. I didn't understand half of it. I didn't really know what was going on. I just I wasn't in the mindset for it. I found it charming, but I find like um, Roar Walker's films are a bit like that. They're not super plot driven. They are a bit more like atmospheric and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of magical realism. And so there's not a lot of like solid ground underneath it. And so, yeah, I can see how like how for some people that doesn't work, but I did find it charming and was like massively impressed with Josh O'Connell's Italian. Yeah. He spoke Italian very well. And of course, Isabella Rossellini, Isabella Rossellini is always a delight. So yeah, yes. she's lovely. And I think that's why I, I booked it. Cause I, I like Josh and I, that actually was impressive. And I thought the performances were good, but you've nailed it. So for me, like magical re- realism is just not something that I really appreciate in film. I like, I understand the need for it but it doesn't work for me like it's not something that i enjoy watching i should have read between the lines <laughs> when i read the description so uh yeah i it's for me that was honestly out of everything i saw that was probably the thing i liked the least and then how to have sex mostly because i just didn't fucking understand half of what was going on like i thought thematically it was really interesting i just i wish i knew like honestly understood what they were saying. It was to me, it, it really felt like some language that I don't understand. Well, that, that one English, again, but. that one again, like, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Cause I mean, they do have pretty, they have pretty heavy accents. Um, so yeah, if you're not, if you're not British, it can be a bit of a challenge. Um, but I do, this is something that's come up like for me a number, like a number of times over the last few months, just like thinking about generational differences to how we've been conditioned to think about sex and to think about like the importance of consent in sex and how much we were conditioned, like as girls who grew up in the nineties, how much we were conditioned to think it was, it's our, it's your fault if you put yourself in this situation. And I think this movie in particular really plays with that. Um, because you can find yourself if you are, if you've been socialized in that way, that it's about girls putting themselves in dangerous positions, you will find like, that's where your brain will start to go. And then when you start to think more deeply about it, it shouldn't fucking matter. Like it's never the, it's never the victim's fault for what's happened. Well, and I think perpetrator. 
And so like, so that for me, that was like the biggest piece of that movie is, is I think that these are some like very ingrained societal attitudes that we need to like come to terms with. And I'm glad that there's films like how to have sex out there that are sort of putting that in people's faces and and I, I 120% agree with you, which makes me even angrier at the fact that it's so hard to like understand the movie because I think it's an important message that more people need to watch. And the movie itself is actually, I thought it was pretty well made. It has like all of the makings of like a really accessible story. It's just so fucking impossible to understand, which just makes me mad. Cause like you say, it actually, that's what I liked about it. The fact that it's, you know, uh, bringing to light this thing that's really important that we don't talk about often enough in a way that's really accessible and palpable, but then like, you don't can't understand half the movie. Like it's to me, it's such a failure. Like, well, just or it's put just, on the it's fucking really subtitles. local, or that, yeah. or, or that it's just, it's just, it's just yeah. very local in its reach yeah. because of that, because it yeah. exists, and that's sad. That's sad to me. So yeah, maybe that one was a disappointment too for that reason because it is important, and I didn't hate it. I just I thought it could be so much better with just like a tweak. Just turn on the subtitles. Um, <laughs> I will can take I the tell subtitles. You- can I tell you about my favorite screening at, at VIF this year? Yeah. Um, because it, it didn't actually make my top five, but it was absolutely my favorite screening was um, Hey Victor at International Village um, because the filmmakers and a whole bunch of the crew and cast were all present. And there's just something for me, this is like the, just the last few years, I find like the most magical like film going experiences for me at the film festival tend to be the films where we're celebrating indigenous excellence in filmmaking and Hey Victor is so, like, it's, I mean, it's so funny. It's a, it's a mockumentary. I mean, this just hits like all the points for me. Cause I love mockumentaries. This is a mockumentary that is about the, the guy who played young Victor in smoke signals. Who's like literally on screen for five minutes in the movie and has made that his entire personality as an adult. Um, and so he like, manages to get this crazy German to invest money into making a sequel to the smokes to smoke signals, which is all like, and he has to get the original cast to agree to be part of it. So the entire mockumentary is him trying to get the original cast members on site on side with this, with this film. Um, it is, it's really hilarious. Um, when they introduced the film, the filmmakers were like, okay, look, there's a lot of movies that get made about indigenous pain and our his like our history. Um, this movie is just out to make you laugh, <laughs> and that is okay. It's okay for us to laugh, and I like I thought it was just it was so much fun. Everybody in the audience was just so fully on board and so celebrative of the film that it was just a really nice like experience to get to to be in that room with people. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to shout that out. And that that one's going to be on Crave right away, I'm pretty sure. So um, easy, an easy film to watch. And it's pretty funny. Awesome. Bill, any disappointments or highlights? Or both? Uh, I, I, started, I did my disappointments. A couple highlights. I, I like the opening gala film, Fallen Leaves, the uh, Aki Karasmaki film. Uh, you, you kind of always know what you're getting from Karismaki. He, he makes the same film every time. Drunken men going after women, and they sing. And there's always some dogs. Uh, 
it's it's a really funny film, but some people in the audience, I don't I think I've ever seen a charismatic film. And if it, he has a definite style, and if you're not into it, it could be weird. So you've been warned. Charismatic, he's pretty cool though. I like him. And the, another one, I want to talk about a Canadian film. I know, I know. Uh called Fitting In. Uh yeah, with, didn't this win the best Canadian film at Biff? I think it did. Uh it's with, starring Maddie Ziegler. Uh, who I think is a, uh, a teen star. I'd never heard of her before, but I'm, I'm not the guy. Uh, it's about a, a young girl who finds out that uh, first time she has sex, that she doesn't have a vaginal canal. And it's her story of trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, still be at high school and still try to be a sexual person. And, it turns out that the director of the film had the same problem and it became like a really cool Q and a, and I was really into the film. I was like, this is an actual good Canadian film. And I don't like saying that because I'm not that guy, not that you guy. Be, but you can be that guy. You can I be can. the guy that just champions good film, regardless of where they come from. Yeah. And, and we're winning I, you over one Canadian film at a time, Bill. We're, it's It's happening. And and I also like the Mr. Dress Up documentary, which makes it three films <laughs> I like from Canada. <laughs> God but that movie is so charming. I actually liked the Mr. Dressed documentary more than I liked the uh, the Mr. Rogers one, to be totally honest. Yeah, uh, there's something to be said about Mr. Dress Up. He was the tickle trunk. Yeah, it's just a really cool dude. And uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, got you happy, then it got you sad because the ending was a little sad, but. Uh, uh, I had no idea what I didn't even know that he was an American, to tell you the truth. So uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, good stuff. Uh, yay, Canadian film. I'm, I'm now a member of the Canadian Film Loving Society or something. Yay, yay, Denny Villeneuve. I don't know. Uh, I will say for those that don't know, the Mr. Dress Up Doc is streaming on Amazon. It's an Amazon Prime title and it is now available. So free to watch if you have Amazon Prime it's definitely recommended it's it's good stuff then then watch you know Gen V <laughs> <laughs> or don't either way either maybe way maybe not on the same day <laughs> uh, maybe on the same day prime yourself up that's, any other thoughts about Viff before Gen, we Gen, before Gen V's done some stuff in that show that I did not expect it to do holy crap no, that show yeah, is explicit oh it totally is yeah Good show. I'm okay, with it. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Any other comments on the festival before we wrap it up for the year? Well, for the year, <gasps> for the night. Sorry. I meant like for the fifth year is what I was getting at. Sorry. As I said, I thought the films were good. Uh, you know, you know, it, it, there, there was no poor things or Ferrari or any of those big films, but at the end of the year, I'm always good for foreign films and indies because I go to VIF. I don't have to check these films out because I've already seen them. And everybody's like hunting them down. I'm like, ah, I saw that in September. Because VIF is always good for that. Yeah. And once again, I always say this. I said this more than once to this show. Uh, you guys included, all my friends in Vancouver, everybody I see at VIF, you're all clutch. I love you. Uh, it's awesome to see you. And uh there's too many to be named, but uh, I also want to say free and breaky. And uh, yeah, this was good. 
there's a story there, but we're not getting into it. No, that's a story for another day. Not not for this podcast. It's not our story to tell. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a mystery. Um come on by uh atcpa.ca. We'll list all of the favorites. Uh we'll link to stuff as well so you can see what you've missed. Um and we promise to be back probably in a week or so with our uh what we've been watching regular show. Uh, it's been on a hiatus for a couple of weeks, but we all, we will be back hopefully with Stephen Toe. Until then, where can folks find you? Either one of you could go first. Steve isn't here, so today it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, uh, I am Bill Harris. I am on Letterboxd at SamJab69. I have another podcast called The Green Screen of Death. Supposedly we're recording tomorrow or the next day which I've probably said 55 times in the last five years and it never actually happened. So we'll actually have to see. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's about it. I'm also on Twitter X, whatever the hell it's called at Sam jam 69. And, uh, and thank you for listening. Hope you have a good night. Peace. Peace. Well, Melissa. <laughs> Um, well, I am, uh, yes, I'm, I'm probably on Letterboxd more often than I'm on, uh, X, Twitter, whatever the hell it is now. Um, I'm, I'm at Melzy Tweets there and I am at Melzy Melzy on, uh, Letterboxd, I believe, or you can find me as Melissa McDowell. Yeah. And I have been spending more time on Letterboxd as well. I've basically given up on Twitter. <laughs> Just like yeah. I get, I just can't fucking be bothered anymore. Uh, I, uh, you can find me on Instagram, which is my preferred platform of choice, the Marina Two for the movie content. Um, and I, I want to toot my horn, guys. I, my goal for movies for the year was two hundred. I am at one hundred and ninety-seven. Ooh, proud of myself. I'm gonna make my account before so, the end of the week. <laughs> you guys are always talking about how I watch everything. Do you know any movies I've watched this year? No, like 112. No, I'm not joking. I oh, have... but you watched how many shorts? <laughs> oh, yeah. 12, well, are we counting those? Because I was 362. 12,472. <laughs> I also watched a lot of short. A lot. I, I, I have not tracking shorts. It is not happening. <laughs> Man, it's been a year. Um, but yeah, come on by etcpod.ca and we'll be back in uh, a couple of weeks. Until then, pack uh, the planet. Bye. Bye.